Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of DFV. I am your co-host, Black Cinephile. And I'm your co-host, Brad. And that's your co-host, Brad. And we got a special one here today. We got a um, a great kind of switcheroo battle here. We got a uh, we have what we would call a crossover between um, uh, Sam Raimi and uh, the Coen brothers. So two films we're going to talk about here is kind of where these two, um, you know, legendary directors switch places. Um, both films are, are co-written by all three men, but, um, you know, each film is directed by someone different. So, you know, Joel Cohen directs The Hudsucker Proxy and uh, Sam Raimi directs uh, Crime Wave. So Crime Wave, just to give a little bit of a background on this episode, Crime Wave was a um, kind of almost forgotten collaboration between um, the three gentlemen from the 80s. Uh, tumultuous production, uh, lackluster response, and then the Hussucker Proxy, which um, kind of looks like it had a little bit of a bigger budget, uh, still had kind of a lackluster response from critics and uh, audiences, but it had more of a, I guess, more of a push uh, marketing-wise. Yeah. I mean, between these, you know, Sam Raimi is basically a household name when it comes to movie directors, thanks to Spider-Man. And then mm -hmm. the Coen brothers have just such a creative energy when it comes to their movies that yeah. they don't have the same general audience notoriety, but within the movie community, they're very well established and known. I feel like I feel like with Sam Raimi being a household name, I'd uh, you know I I'd argue that the Coen brothers are a household name as much as Sam Raimi. But do you feel like the general moviegoer? Uh, know Sam Raimi's name before the Coen Brothers' names, or they may know Sam Raimi's movies before they know the Coen Brothers' movies? Uh, I think it's a little bit of both. When it comes to... I mean, mm -hmm. Sam Raimi, right off the bat, I think most people would recognize his movies a little bit more as a name, because when he was announced to be directing a movie for Marvel, the people were coming out of woodwork that you know never talk about movies like oh my god the director from spider-man's coming back and doing another superhero movie you know and mm. so i think that his name is a little bit more of a general knowledge kind of thing mm. and then when it yes. comes to his movies hit or miss i don't know if people would look at his uh repertoire and go oh yeah those are all sam raimi movies or if they just go oh i remember that movie but for the Coen brothers, I'm sure people could probably name movies from them, but not necessarily know that they were all done by the same people. That's fair enough. That 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 makes sense. That's fair enough. Um, OK, gotcha. So looking at this here, you know, so basically we got we got a nice matchup here. We got Crime Wave versus the Hudsucker Proxy. Now, have you seen either of these films before? I have not, actually. Both of these have completely evaded my line of sight. Now, I knew of, well, I, I knew of Crime Wave a little bit here, but I kind of avoided it because, uh, you know, I had heard that, you know, oh, this isn't a good movie. And plus, I was kind of like on a Coen Brothers kick. So I was like, well, I don't want to watch their worst piece of work. So I'll just mm. keep that on the back burner. Um, the Hudsucker Proxy, I had seen like uh, a little bit of the beginning of it, but never really finished it. So it was always a film I knew existed, but it was but it was one of those films that's like, oh, that's not at Fargo, No Country for Old Men Heights. That's kind of like that's kind of like a B side. So mm -hmm. I said, OK, I'll put that on the back burner. So these are two films I kind of always known about, but I never really watched. Yeah, it for me, you know. 
I know the directors and everything like that. I've probably run across these while going through and being like, oh, what are the movies from them that I should check out? But I've never like looked at them seriously as, uh, oh, I'll sit down and watch one of these two movies. Mm hmm. Gotcha. All right. So on this one, folks, we got a, a special. So um, I think we should start off with Crime Wave. You know, only because, you know, I feel like if, if Crime Wave didn't fail, then Hudsucker Proxy, at least from a marketing standpoint, wouldn't have succeeded. So I feel like you got you got to go through hell to get through heaven, huh? OK, OK, fair enough. All right. Yeah. So we're going to start off with Crime Wave in uh, 1985, uh, you know, directed by Sam Raimi uh, with the screenplay he co-wrote with the Coen brothers. Now, this film right here is basically like yeah, it, First off, you, you're not supposed to take this seriously, so let's just start right there. But basically, this is a a wild mix of like you know slapstick humor, uh, film noir, suspense, thriller, and just like cartoonish violence. So we we deal with a guy um, that's considered like a you know kind of like an everyday type of guy, kind of a schmuck, um, whose name is um, uh, Victor. So Victor is uh, about to be sentenced to death in the beginning of the movie. He's he's about to be in an electric chair because um, he's been charged with, um, you know, uh, a couple murders that have happened. But as he's going to the electric chair, he's explaining like, it's not me. It was these other guys. And this happened. I met this girl. And, you know, in classic cinema format, we kind of get a flashback, which begins the whole movie on, uh, you know, how Victor kind of got into this situation, which, you know, which starts with, um, you know, uh, Mr. Trend. Um, you know, and uh, uh, who was the other guy that got killed? Uh, are you talking about his rival that had the office like right below his apartment? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm trying to remember what his name is. It's literally. I'm trying to. Uh, Mr. Heel. Mr. Heel. So we had Mr. Heel, Mr. Trend, uh, you know, two rivals who, uh, you know, <laughs> end up both getting killed uh one by accident by these uh two exterminators uh <laughs> so that that's how silly this movie is the people who end up carrying out the murder job are exterminators um literally yeah. and so exterminators of all sizes right they 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 kill all sizes exactly so in the meantime you know we got a uh, victor here who uh you know meets a woman that uh, he's falling head over heels for um, by the name of Nancy, who's, uh, you know, in love with uh, Bruce Campbell's character, um, uh, Mr. Heel, uh, you know, who's, uh, you know, kind of a douche or well, not kind of is a douche. So basically, um, this film kind of ends up where it's kind of two movies in one. We have uh, the exterminators, you know, trying to uh, take care of um uh, I, I think Mr. I think Vister. I think it was Victor's wife. Um, uh, yes. No, 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 Miss. No, no, Miss Trend. It was Mrs. Trend. Was and it? okay, hold on, hold on. We we, we messing ourselves up because the heel, Mr. Heel didn't die, right? Uh, Bruce Campbell didn't die. No, Bruce Campbell's character didn't die. Is was that Mr. Heel? Am yeah. I getting the names mixed up then? Yeah, we're getting them mixed up here. Okay. Because, yeah, right. their names really aren't said too often in this movie. It, it basically comes down to we have Bruce Campbell's character that is kind of your average dude bro, more or less. Mm -hmm. uh, then you have, you know, uh, 
Victor, who we're following through the story and everything like that, the girl he falls for, and the exterminators. And those are basically the main players in the entire movie. Yeah, so basically, yeah, that, that's basically what it is. So there's two movies going on. There's, um, you know, Victor trying to get the love of his life, you know, Nancy. And then there's uh, the two exterminators trying to clean up the job. So basically, you know, one of them's trying to kill Mrs. Trend. And um, the other one's trying to, um, you know, of course, like uh, get rid of bodies and find his friend. And, you know, things converge as the film goes on. And then, you know, it's basically Victor versus these two guys, which, you know, leads up to him with the mistaken identity by the end. And that in a wild nutshell is basically crime wave. Listen, with a film like this, I, I didn't I didn't think I was going to like it. You know, when I kind of read up a little bit about it before I watched it, I said, I'm not I don't think I'm going to like this movie, but I'll give it a chance. Uh, When you kind of get on this wavelength, like, you know, like when Bruce Campbell first comes on screen after we get the flash forward of the electric chair, he goes, uh, doesn't this just tickle your fancy? Doesn't (laughs) this just uh, raw your hide? I said, "Okay, I think I might actually end up liking this movie. (laughs) Yeah, this when it comes to this movie. The plot is just a very bare bones. Ooh, boy falls in love with girl. There's like a murder mystery in the background. It's kind of whatever. Where this movie is strongest is in its jokes, its presentation, and it's just nonstop slapstick throughout. It is Mm -hmm. basically taking slapstick and running with it as a central focus and going, you know what? We're going to loosely throw a plot around all these jokes and it works out. But at the same yeah. time, you can tell that the focus definitely wasn't on the plot. It was about getting people into the situations that would make for these jokes to work out. Because you have the joke where, you know, Bruce Campbell's character you know, goes to dinner with the one girl and decides, I'll pay for my share of it. So I hope you got mm-hmm. some money with you and everything like that. And right. with her not having money, she needs exactly $36, which just so happens to be first place in the dance competition happening that night at the restaurant that they're at. And oh, man. <laughs> so yeah. it, it's it, not so much that they're like, oh, OK, let's have the plot go through these. It's like, no, no, no. We're just doing setups for a joke that's going to pay off in about five minutes. It's just constantly setting up the ball and just waiting for the batter to come up to, you know, take their swing. You got to love that scene where, uh, you know, they do the dance and they they figure out they didn't win. And then you see him kind of still dancing while they're washing the dishes because they can't afford it. (laughs) And then she's just standing there just looking at this guy just like, like, what is wrong with you? Yeah, I thought that was hilarious, man. I, I thought that was a hilarious moment. That's the moment where I was fully in. Okay. But, uh, because before that, I'm kind of like, all right, I'm, I'm trying to follow this. Two executioners. I, I mean, two exterminators. Just I, I'm trying to follow this movie. But I think that was the part where I was like, okay, I'm in now. See, my moment of, I'll be honest, the beginning of this movie yeah, if you're not in the wavelength for it, you're not going to be ready for it. And yeah, it throws you off. It, it was when the exterminators came on screen and he switched his machine from like butter cockroaches to human. And I was like, <laughs> oh, so that's the kind of movie this is going to be, huh? OK, OK, let me just reseat myself here. This We're going on an adventure. 
Right. Absolutely. And I want to say, um, you know, uh, I, I like the dude. I love the set design of this movie. Like, mm-hmm. I love the way Sam Raimi sets up the the design, like the the moments where we have, um, you know, one of the exterminators trying to, uh, you know, like, like kind of kill Miss Trend. And like he's he he ends up under the table and he's like he's like he's like grabbing everything. I think like he's grabbing like the whole apartment carpet trying to get yeah. her. I'm like, I love the way this is shot. Like, I love how these scenes are shot so cartoonish, but inventive at the same way. Yeah, it's very much like you said, it's kind of framed like a cartoon with its slapstick and everything, because, yeah, he is literally just ripping the carpet off the ground, just pulling it toward him, trying to bring her closer in that Mm -hmm. scene. You have the moment where one of the best things that I at first it kind of annoyed me. But as the joke went on, I, I started to love it more and more was the redubbing of the exterminators to this weird like voice that they always had where at first it was like okay that's that's kind of annoying but then it's like okay it's kind of getting funny now okay you know what i like this this is this is good they're using this to its full advantage here yeah the the redubbing like kind of bothered me towards the end we'll we'll, we'll get to that scene like the 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 one where it's like glaring and you're oh, like, yeah. oh my goodness, that looks bad. But it's like, you know, um, yeah, this this production was uh, very tumultuous. But um, yeah, I absolutely, I love the set design of this. I love when the um, one of the exterminators is chasing after Miss Trend, uh, going through all the walls, and then she ends up oh, like yeah. pushing it, pushing it back on him. <laughs> yeah, what was it? The world's safest hallway of doors. Right. Right. And then she uh, she ends up falling into a box, going to, uh, you know, some some, you know, foreign land. I'm mm-hmm. like, that's funny. That's pretty funny. Um, but yeah, man, I feel like uh, I love the way this is set up, like, because I feel like if this wasn't shot in an inventive way, this this movie kind of would be brutal. Mm-hmm. But it, it lands its visual gags so well in most places that you're willing to forgive it for its flaws. Yeah. Like I said, Every moment is just setting itself up for a future joke. And yeah, not all of them pay off, but enough of them pay off that the ones that don't just fly right by. You don't even really notice them. And then you're already laughing at the next joke. And it does such a good job with that, that like even the door or the hallway that they're going mm-hmm. through it, the entire time she's closed the door and he bashes right through it she closes the door bashes right through it and you're going okay this is funny just she's constantly just closing these doors and he's bashing through it then the payoff that you weren't expecting is oh she's gonna then throw the wall down and he's gonna be running in the reverse direction through all the <laughs> holes in the doors that he made in order to not get squashed by this giant domino effect of these walls that the best part is you can tell that there's nothing around the walls it's literally a wall holding a door that he could easily go left or right and be out of the situation instead he's running down this entire hallway away from the domino effect as it's falling in that direction like i i absolutely love the setup of that like it's one of those perfect things that like you said the camera work and everything for it as it switches like from a side angle of him smashing through the front angle of them running toward the camera and everything it it works out so well yeah okay gotcha gotcha 
Yeah, I, I think it works well as well. But I want to say uh, towards the end here, uh, here's where the, the the voice dubbing just really, it really got to me. So by the end, when, you know, the exterminators are taken care of, you know, uh, you know, Victor's hanging off a bridge, you know, Nancy climbs up over him all the way to get on top. When he gets over and he's talking to her like, 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 Nancy, you okay? You can notice that their mouths aren't moving, dude. And I'm like, yeah. oh, my God, this looks bad. Like, this looks really bad. But, you know, part of the thing, when you talk about the production of this film, I don't think you can talk about Crime Wave without talking about the, the background production of it. Uh, Sam Ra- Raimi and even, like, the Coen brothers, they, they don't really look back on this movie fondly. Like, you know, Sam Raimi... He had such a horrible experience making this movie that he practically begged the production studio that I think distributed Evil Dead one saying, listen, I, I got to make a sequel to Evil Dead. I, I have to redeem myself. Please let me make a sequel to Evil Dead. I, I, I can't let this be the last film I worked on. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I could kind of see that, especially at the time and everything, because I remember after I finished watching this, I kind of started looking up like, what did people think of this movie and stuff? And everybody's like, that movie was terrible and everything like that. And I was just thinking, I found that movie to be very hilarious. But at the same time, I love slapstick. I know that it's a very tuned kind of form of comedy that not everybody cares for or, you know, but at the same time, this is one of those movies that does it so well that people that love slapstick you're going to absolutely be dying of laughter through this one. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 yeah I, 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 I agree that it does. It definitely has some great funny moments, but when you're looking at the, uh, the whole of it, you can tell that it, one of the main things that, uh, you know, Sam Raimi was, was upset about uh, Bruce Campbell too, was that they wouldn't let Raimi edit the film. And he was upset because they had so many like, you know, like arguments on set, and then, you know, the producer was like, no, nah, you can't edit this movie. And it shows it shows that he doesn't like have a hand in editing because it's just it, it, it's a poor job as we transition from one moment to the next. Like you, mm-hmm. you can see a great movie in this, but you can also see the flaws with, uh, you know, studio interference or studio blockage, I should say. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It, by no means did this movie come out perfectly. You know, like I said before, when it comes to this movie's plot, it, there really isn't one here and the little bit of a semblance of a plot is basically the setup for a joke and everything else kind of just it it falters everything except mm. those perfect moments where the joke kind of slides right in there are the ones that you remember everything else about this movie is very forgettable like even at the beginning of the movie where he's getting brought to like the electric chair and everything like that. I forgot that that was even a whole thing in this movie until it popped <laughs> up at the end. And I was like, oh yeah, that was the thing that this movie started with. This is him retelling the story of what happened. And then you go, wait, how did he know the parts where he wasn't there? And how did he tell those parts and everything? And then it, it you know, it comes to the nuns driving back, and then it's like, oh, yeah, they were at the beginning of the movie, too, weren't they? They were a right, thing. Right. <laughs> and I remembered the nuns, yeah. See, I didn't. I The nuns came in, I was like, what the... Oh, right, they were at the beginning, too. Is this going to have a payoff? And 
then they like show up and everything like that. It's like, okay, that that's a decent payoff. I'm, you know, I'll, I'll forgive you for throwing that in the beginning with no explanation for that payoff. Yeah. There. Yeah. There's some actually some solid tension at that end there when, um, when they're like, well, uh, the nuns didn't say that, that, that it's, it wasn't him. And then at the last moment, you know, you see that headline nuns break vow of silence. I thought that was a nice little, uh, 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 payoff moment. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah, and, and then of course you have the happy ending with you know him getting married and everything like that. But yeah, which is like okay, it it's cute and everything like that. It's not what I was going for this movie for, but you know it, it's cute. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. And I feel like the way this film goes off, like even with the cartoonish way of the violence and all that, it really feels like a Coen Brothers uh like script. Oh, yeah. Like these two exterminator characters, you can find these guys like straight out of Raising Arizona or something or, you know, some outrageous Coen Brothers comedy. Yeah. You can definitely see that. And the direction has Sam Raimi's um, name all over it as well. But um, I want to say, dude, the, the lead actor, Reed uh, Bernie, uh, I've seen him in another movie I like called Mass, but uh, he really does shine in this. Like He, uh, he, he does. He shine- yeah. Because initially, you know, that role was supposed to be played by Bruce Campbell, but the studio said, no, we don't want him in the lead role. Really? I, it, yeah. Uh, I, I think Bruce would have did a great job as well, of course. But I really feel like, you know, they, they didn't make a bad decision putting Reed in, in the lead. Yeah, Reed absolutely knocked that role out of the park and everything like that. But it and I could see Bruce Campbell knocking it out as well. But at the same time, the fact that the studio was like, oh, no, you can have Bruce Campbell play that role. It's like, why? What what was the reasoning behind that? Mm hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I don't know. that. Well, the reason was they said, um, you know, we 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 want to hug. We don't want someone. Um, what what how did they put it? They wanted a Hollywood actor at the time to be in the lead. Because, you know, Bruce Campbell at the time had The Evil Dead, right? Which was mm-hmm. considered to be an independent movie. Well, it is an independent movie. But, you know, they wanted a Hollywood actor in the lead. So that's why they said no to him. Oh, okay. Yeah, gotcha. Uh, well, yeah, man. I, I think overall, this was uh, it was way better than what I expected it to be. Um, it's not perfect, but it, it is entertaining and funny. Um, I give this a 3.5. Uh, I give this one a 4 out of 5. It. The slapstick hits when it hits, and yeah, the the plot is just kind of basic, but when it comes to like the camera work, the jokes, the slapstick, the setups, everything like that, I think that's all perfectly in place when it comes to this movie. And yeah, I, I found myself laughing throughout the movie, which I think that's a good sign when it's a comedy, and... I have more moments that I can remember from this movie that I laughed at than I was sitting down and kind of staring off into the distance. Okay, okay, gotcha. All right, that makes sense. All right, we're going to move on here. That brings us to The Hudsucker's Proxy, which is, once again, we have the Conan Brothers and Sam Raimi working together, this time directed by Joel Cohen, the movie that follows the story of Nov- Norville Barnes, who is a run-of-the-mill guy with some big ideas looking to make his place in the world of business. And he starts off by going to the Hudsuckers Corporation, where just the previous day, the CEO and 
or not the CEO, the president of the company had explicitly decided to jump out of a window. And following this, they decide the board of directors has decided that in order to take over the company, they need to put somebody in charge that'll make the stock prices go down so they can buy up the stock once it becomes available on January 1st, which is only a couple of months away at the time of his demise. So looking for the biggest idiot around, they eventually <laughs> fall onto Norville who presents his great idea of a circle as the next big thing and proceeds to kind of take the company under his wing and watch the stock prices fall until eventually in the pinnacle moment, he manages to pull a rabbit out from under from his hat and kind of make the board a little bit more fearful of what they have done. Right, right. That, that's uh, the bare bones of this movie. Yeah, absolutely. So with this film right here, man, I got to say, man, you, you know a Coen Brothers film when you watch it. It just has a certain type of feel to it. Now, one thing I love about this movie that I loved about Crime Wave is the set design. Mm -hmm. But I like how the Coen Brothers, they can turn a moment such as like suicide into something strangely beautiful. Like when we start off with the uh, the the suicide of a wearing Hudsucker, the president, you know, you get this moment where he's sitting at the sitting at this long. You got this long table. This is what I love about the cinematography of the movie. But you got this long table where this guy, all the board members are just talking, you know, talking about rich, rich white guy stuff. And he just looks outside for a moment and just like, you know, just gets kind of like entranced. He puts it. I think he puts his watch down. Yeah, He puts his pocket watch down. He right. starts to slowly stand on his chair. <laughs> right. And it just, just runs off the table and then just like, like, you know, just head dives out the window. And one thing I love is like the minute he jumps out, um, Tim Robbins character Norville is walking into the building. I just mm -hmm. thought that was just so great, like theme wise. Right. And even on the like descent down from the floors and everything, it's a mm -hmm. camera from behind him as he's just falling down, eventually like right. stopping and doing a pan to a bunch of people there now having expressions due to a man just fell out of a building. And yeah. I love how it goes back to the board members and they're like, what was that? What did he just do? Does he know something that we don't? What, what's going on here? You know, a man just flew out the uh, 53rd floor, 54th, actually, 53rd floor. Well, if you're counting the, you know, mezzanine, it's. <laughs> and yeah, right. it's it's one of those things where, yes, the jokes pay off in this movie. And that's the perfect way to begin it, to put you in the headspace that you need to be in to watch this movie where you can't take anything about it seriously. Especially when we're introduced to Norville's job in the mailroom and you have somebody like giving him the orientation, but they're just talking really fast and going through, well, the 225 has to be this and your employee ID is 00733317. You're going to need that to get your paycheck. Don't forget it. I'm not going to repeat it ever again. You know, and meanwhile, people are just stacking stuff on his cart and being like, I need this to go to floor two. I need this over delivered yesterday. I need this done right now. And mm. you know, it, it's 
such a fast paced comedy that it literally is just throwing 10 jokes out every minute and going, yeah, maybe one of them lands. We'll see. It really is throwing everything at you as you're watching it. Like, you know, like, all right, this joke doesn't land. We'll 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 catch you on the next one about like three, three jokes down when the mm-hmm. bit finally delivers. You know, like something like that. But I gotta say, the thing with Norville that I like is that when he when he initially starts looking for a job, you know, he's a rec- he's a recent business college graduate. He sees all you see all the like phrases jump out of him, like uh, need experience, you know, uh, you oh, know, yeah. need prior experience, you know, need to have this, need to have this certification. It's like, damn, how many times have I went through that while job searching? You know, so you you immediately feel for him. Oh yeah. So. Yeah, but I, I gotta say, um, you know, when you're talking about Paul Newman here, man, I feel like he just uh he commands the room. I don't like using this term that the kids use, but I think Paul Newman is a is a whole mood every time he's on the screen as Sydney. Yeah, yeah, I can kinda agree with that. He he definitely does <laughs> take control of the scenes and everything whenever he's on right. screen. And yeah, his his demeanor literally just takes over right yeah absolutely absolutely there's a reason he was um you know even in his heyday you know a legend yeah i i love him i love paul newman when he's on screen yeah and the fact that he's the one that's even like orchestrating the entire plot to bring like the stock prices down and everything like that you know and everybody just kind of like follows along like you can tell that he's the one that's really in control and everybody else on the board is kind of just a yes man for him. Absolutely, absolutely. So you know, I like the uh, the core romance that happens between uh, Tim Robbins, uh, Norville, and uh, Jennifer Jason Leeds, Amy. I think it's a um, you know, I feel like a film like this needs a romance. I feel like a romance isn't bad to have there, but I, I got to admit, you know, um, if, if there were some parts in the movie where it was kind of hard to keep my attention. Like this movie. There's a reason it's, it's considered one of the more forgotten Coen Brothers films. It, it doesn't like, it doesn't have a great flow to it, if if I should say so myself. Yeah, I can kind of see that a little bit, especially in scenes toward the middle. It seems to be like, mm. okay, we know where we need to go. We just have no idea how to get there. And because they right. know that they had to have him meet Amy and everything. And they know that she has to have the reports coming through and everything like that. But there's just a huge lull in, I would say, the maybe beginning of the second half of the movie where you're just waiting for something to happen. And you're just going through the motions of the characters keep meeting and they keep repeating the same stuff over and over. The jokes are kind of being repeated over and it's kind of between her first meeting with Norville and when he finally has the hula hoop created, it, nothing's really going on in the movie. It's just very, it, there's talk, there's a little bit of jokes, but a lot of the jokes are repeats of jokes told earlier in the movie. They're kind of like, oh, it's a callback, but it's like, yeah, but we, we've been doing a solid like 10 minutes of callbacks. Give me, Give me a new joke. Where, where's the new joke? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I um, one thing I'd say in regards to this film, like I like when the uh, when the hula hoop I'm trying to jump it back a little bit. I like when the hula hoop kind of first gains momentum. You see the one kid, 
you know, uh, you know, doing the hula hoop and all the other kids are looking at them. And then they kind of like just stay. And then the one old guy that has the shop, just a bunch of kids that start running through the door. And he just looks like, you know, so flabbergasted by it. Mm-hmm. Well, I thought even that the, was a nice little transition. Yeah, mm-hmm. the joke on the price, too, where it starts off like in an accounting room where somebody brings a paper and goes, here's what it'll cost us. And here's what we can sell it for. And it's like the cost is 29 cents and the price is 79 cents. And mm. yeah. it comes down to, you know, the person looking at it and going, hmm, I don't know. And then they just write a one in front of the 79. So it's now a dollar 79. He's like, ah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right, right, right. Um, I was going to say the whole thing with the, the stopping of time at the end, I, I, the film lost me at that moment. At that moment. What, what about you? Uh, I wouldn't say that it lost me as much as it was just kind of, you know, it didn't mean much to me. And yeah, like I like that they finally had a payoff for the guy that watched the gears in the clock tower. Like right, that was Moses. his entire job. Yeah, I, I like yeah. that he finally had a payoff because the entire time when he was being brought up and everything like that, because he has two previous scenes in the movie and. Mm. Both of them like kind of go, okay, there's there's got to be something more to this character. He comes off as like very smart, but all he does is he watches the gears in the clock tower. There, there's a joke here somewhere. Did they cut the joke out for him? Like what's what's going on, movie? And then he finally does something. It's like, okay, that's not the payoff I was hoping for with what you were leading up with him. But at the same time, at least he got to do something instead of it just being two setups to no punchline. Right, right, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. It kind of just threw me off when it happened. But yeah, I, of course, there was a moment where he finally had to pay off. Like, okay, this guy finally has his moment here. And, you know, there's the final fight, which is uh, important too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I thought the I thought the, the final act was kind of just like, eh, whatever. I, I mostly like the epilogue more than I like the climax. I... Uh- yeah, I could kind of agree with that. The The climax of it is very it. It is what it is, more or less, you know, because when you have everything going on, they basically had to bring Norville back to the bottom and it, it didn't really have the same punch as having what was his name? Uh, Buzz being the person to bring him down. Mm hmm. You know, it it didn't feel right it being him for whatever reason. You know, I don't know if you had the same thought, but when it came to, like, somebody bringing him down from his position and bringing Norville, like, away from the presidency and taking away his hit and everything, I didn't expect it to be Buzz that did that. Yeah, I I think it was one of those things where it's like, um, because he had fired Buzz, right? Yeah, he had fired Buzz, and then Mm. Buzz came back and was like, well, I got information on the girl and everything like that, and I really created the the hoop design. Mm. Right. Um... I mean, I just, I I guess I was, see, I kind of felt the same way about it as, like, you know, you felt about, um, you know, the, uh, uh, the, the, we were talking about stopping a time. I was like, eh, it didn't throw me off. I was like, oh, okay, fine. 
Yeah. For me, that one threw me off. That's where I kind of went, what are you doing, movie? You you have so many great characters that you could use as the person to take him down and everything like that. Like, you have the people at the news organization or at the reporter that somebody else from that reporting could take him down, which creates contention with, you know, Amy and him and everything like that. You have... Obviously, you know, Mr. Musburger, who is already plotting to take him out because the hula hoop was a success. But to use Buzz just felt weird because I liked Buzz. And now you were turning him into a villain. And it just Mm. didn't feel right. It didn't feel like he needed to go that route. Okay, I, I guess I can see what you're saying when you say that. It's like it's like turning somebody into a villain that doesn't need to be a villain. Right. You you already have perfect setups for people that can have villainous intent already. Buzz was already that guy that's just this fast talker. He he likes to throw little jokes out there, and he likes his job. He likes what he does and everything. You don't have to take him and turn him into a villain because. You don't that's not what the movie needs. You know, he was perfect where Mm -hmm. he was in the movie. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I get what you're saying there. I I hear what you're saying. I hear what you're saying. I guess it didn't affect me as much because I was like, eh, whatever. This film's already too far gone by now. (laughs) But I I, I hear what you're saying. Okay, but uh, yeah, I I can't really think of. uh, Oh, Going back early into the movie, when Norville and Amy first kind of meet and everything, I I love how at the diner that they meet at, our perspective of them meeting is through narration by two diner goers. That's such a cute scene. Oh, I absolutely love that moment because it's, oh, look at her now. She's uh, probably forgot her wallet, didn't try and find somebody to pay for her. Oh, she found her sucker. Uh, Seems like he hasn't noticed yet. Oh, there he did. Oh, well, she lost him already. Okay, now she's going to try the tears and literally just narrating exactly what's going to happen right before it happens as them guessing like, oh, we've seen this a thousand times before in this diner, you know pretty woman comes in takes a schlub for his money and then gets a free meal kind of thing and it it's exactly what she's doing but with a higher context about it because she's trying to get information from him as the president of hudsuckers corporation about Mm. well what's the big deal behind this new president and I love even like when they go back to his office and she just keeps talking and it's like, oh, I just came from a small town. You wouldn't know of it. And he has to like run off screen and she goes through like his binder of like information and finds that he's going to talk at like a local school somewhere and just mentions, Mm -hmm. yeah, this local school from here. And the way he just lights up and he just starts doing this crazy dance. She's like, what the, why are we, and he starts going to like a school chant. She's like, ah, yeah, Eagles <laughs> go. <laughs> and trying to like copy the slogan as he's saying it. Right, right, right. Yeah. That's a pretty cute moment. Um, I love their chemistry together in this. Oh yeah. Even though it, and. Deep down, you you look at Amy and go, she's literally using him. 
the chemistry mm. between them is still cute enough that you're just like, okay, yeah, you know what? It, she's using him, but there's a little bit more to it. And mm-hmm. I especially love when she writes the first article about him and her picture's not in the article or her picture's not attached to her name, like as a reporter at all. So he doesn't mm-hmm. know it's her. And he's like, well, you know, I bet she's a hag. She doesn't have any looks whatsoever. She just thinks she's one of the guys probably dresses mm-hmm. like them too. And that's why her picture's <laughs> not there. And she's like writing all this and stuff down and going, yeah, right. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Right. And he's like, you know what? You can forget sending that letter and everything. I just need to blow off some steam. I'm sure she's a swell girl. <laughs> <laughs> right, right, right. Yeah, I thought that was funny. Um, so I like um, if, if you do, you do you want to head over to the uh, the epilogue here? Yeah, we can go ahead and jump into the epilogue. Yeah, so I like uh, how, you know, when, you know, the day is saved, you know, Norville kind of like, you know, he, he, he goes to the ground safely. I like how when we um we move on, you know, after him and Amy kind of reconcile. I like how uh when uh Paul Newman, I think he tries to like jump through the window, but he can't do it because yep. it's like the glass is too I, I don't uh, know. He plexiglass. <laughs> Had right, it installed right, right. last week. <laughs> right, he can't jump through the plexiglass and he ends up getting sent to an asylum. And uh, you know, I I, I feel like that was a nice like uh, uh throwback right there. But I like how in the end, like the the next um invention that uh that they uh that they have for kids ends up being a frisbee, mm-hmm. which is literally just another circle. <laughs> right, exactly. Yeah, man, I um I, I I had always had this movie on the back burner, um so I'm, I'm glad I finally got to check it out here. So I mean, this is another film that you know it, it's kind of gotten like like crying wave a cult following uh since it's been uh, out. You know, kind of had a, a lukewarm reception when it came out, but I like the invention here. I, I can see the craft behind making this movie. Seems like it has a bigger budget too. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, man. In, in retrospect, uh, you know, it, it it needs some work. There were some parts of the movie that kind of lost me, but overall, I'm kind of the same place where I was with Crime Wave. I give it like a, a high three point five. Yeah, with this one, I'm right there with you. It's a three point five. If when it comes to this movie, the jokes are good when they're good and you forget them when they fall flat, but it does a better job of telling a story. But at the same time, that story gets very boring toward the center of it. Like when it's trying to figure out how to jump from him becoming president to finally having the hula hoop come into production. It's just such a long drag between those two scenes that you're just like, okay, there's about 20 minutes of this movie where nothing happens. There's zero exposition. The jokes are just re-being filtered through what we already have been told. And there's just nothing new here to keep me watching. And it, it, it gets something when like a comedy movie loses me and makes me start going, okay, but, but when are the jokes coming back? That's not a good sign. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, for real, for real. But so I think it's needless to say on me. I think Crime Wave is the better of the two, but you gave them both the same score. So I'm curious, which is better in your opinion between these two? You know, I got to admit, I really feel like Crime Wave just had more of an impact on me. 
like I, I, I kind of had a little bit more of a fun time watching Crime Wave. So I'm a, I'm gonna give the edge to Crime Wave. Okay. So yeah, I, I will say I would absolutely love to see what like the Sam Raimi's vision of Crime Wave was if he had better control of it, because even in its current form, I think it stands out as a good movie. Mm-hmm. But it, I highly believe I if he had his full control this could have been one of like the great slapstick movies that everybody's talking about. Well, yeah, like I said, there's a great movie in there. I would have liked to see what it would, would be like, you know, without the, you know, the studio interference as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, I completely agree with you. Uh, but, you know, heading over in the after show. So uh, it's over, man. The writer's strike has finally ended. Yep. The writer's strike has finally concluded. We have a bunch of shows already starting to kick back up with their writing staff coming back. We mm-hmm. the actors strike is still going on, though. You know, yeah, that yeah. is still something that is ongoing. I've seen a lot of people confused about, well, hold on. Weren't they the same? Th-? No, it's they were both striking at the <laughs> same time, which was like a fur like the second time in history that's ever happened. But at the right. same time, they are two separate unions that just happened to be in the, you know, entertainment industry that were fighting for basically the same thing, which is to prevent AI from taking over their positions. Right, right. Just, right. I got you. Absolutely. Yeah, man. Um, I, I completely agree with you. I, uh, I, uh, I feel like this is a great thing that the writer's strike has um, ended. Uh, but I want to speak to a point that you had told me about. Um, well, I guess you were right, man. You know, a lot of the writers uh, don't want to go back to the Drew Barrymore show. Yeah, that's like I said, it, the person that uh, is going to be hit the most from her trying to do that would be herself. Because, you know, people are going to be more reluctant to go back to work for her after she pulled that move. Yeah, I um yeah, I I completely was thrown back by it when I saw it. One thing I did say though was that um I said, well, you know, there's a new writer born every day. Someone's going to take that job to like, you know, um how how would I say this get a foot in the door. So she's not without writers, but she's without the writers that she started with, which you know could lead to could lead to a dip in quality, mm-hmm. you know, depending on, you know, who's hired, you know, stepping into the future here, but yeah, it definitely did uh make noise. Yeah. You know, um, that, you know, yeah. But at the same time, you had to keep in mind something. It being a writer for her show now has a black mark on it. It's something that people aren't going to want to have on their resume. The same way that when do you remember back when Hulu first announced that Futurama was coming back and all the voice cast except for John, John DiMaggio had signed on for it, the voice of Bender. But Mm -hmm. he was saying that it was such a criminally low rate, he couldn't sign the contract for that voice work because they were professionals and they should be paid as professionals. And Hulu started doing the kind of call sheets to find a new voice for Bender. Nobody would take that position. It was one of those things where voice actors stood by and went, no, there's no way I'm going to be the guy that comes in and is known as the guy that took away that 
the voice of Bender from John DiMaggio when he's standing up for everybody else. Mm-hmm. And I feel like it's going to be a very similar situation here that most people that are credited writers are not going to go work for her because they're going to go, look, it, the people that were her writers that are leaving are taking a stand against actions that she took during the writer's strike that showed that she had no consideration for their jobs. And new writers are probably going to notice the same thing. And yeah, I'm sure that she's going to find some people that aren't too worried about it or they need just that in anywhere. And that's probably what she's going to get. And yeah, I have a feeling that's going to tank the quality. And I don't know if the show can survive without a good writing staff because it's a show Mm. format that relies on writers. It's not... You know, Drew Barrymore can do some, you know, she's charming. She's charming. I'm sure she has improv skills to get by a little bit, but nobody has improv skills to get by on an entire late night show. Oh, it's not a late night show. It's daytime TV. Oh, well, yeah. Yeah. So the way it works from so from the clips I've seen just playing devil's advocate a little here. So from the clips I've seen of the Drew Barrymore Shore show, like most of the allure of it is her interviewing people. Like, you know, she did like a little cute interview with Keanu Reeves talking about how they were, how about, you know, how she used to hang out with him back when they were in the young Hollywood days, mm-hmm. you know? So a lot of it is really based off Drew's charm, but I, but watching the show as a whole, the, yes, the writers are very important because they set up the segments, mm-hmm. but a lot of the clips I've seen that's gotten like traction on YouTube uh, it's it's really based off a lot of her charm. Okay. So, I mean, we'll see. You know what I mean? It's not Late Night with Bill Maher where, you know, the, the writing is essential. Right. Um, but, it, you know, it's it's just day, it's daytime talk TV. Okay. I thought it was more like a late night kind of show and everything, but. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. But we'll, we'll, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Um, as far as any other news, uh. Anything you've seen lately? So the finale of Fiona and Cake has finally gone through. And my God, of all the ways that they could end that show, I didn't expect to tear up watching that finale the same way as like watching the finale of Adventure Time. You know, that one, Mm. it, it figures out how to hit and it just kind of stabs and it just twists as the like last 10 minutes of it go it's just like not we're gonna keep twisting this knife no 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 keep trying to breathe keep trying go on <laughs> gas for air i want to see it <laughs> wow that 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 uh, that emotional huh oh yeah i mean at the same time it's also watching the series finale of like something i grew up with adventure time watching that through and everything like that and okay. so them being like, oh, we're bringing it back for another season and stuff like that. It's like, ah, yeah, cool. And then it's like, it's the end again, isn't it? How dare you do this to me a second time? <laughs> hmm. Yeah, yeah. I'm, um, me, myself, I'm, uh, I'm still trying, like, myself to, uh, you know, get through Adventure Time. I think last time I, I, the last place I left off at, he had just started dating the, uh, the fire chick. Ah, uh, the flame princess. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the that's the finale and where I left off at. So, um, 
I got to get back into it because I got the nice co complete collection on DVD where it's like yep. the story time. I bought that. Uh, I remember when I first bought that too. My wife was like, "What? Why did you buy this?" I was like, "Cause it looks cool, you know." I, I saw a few episodes on Cartoon Network. So you bought the complete series? Yes, the episodes were that good. <laughs> it, it is a very good show. Like it has a rough start when it comes to like overarching plots, but toward the end, it, it basically has cemented itself where it, the deep stories in that show are just little background gags become central plot focuses. And it's like, Oh, this is wonderful. <laughs> mm -hmm. Absolutely. I completely understand. Um, so looking at that, uh, what was I about to say here? So we, we, uh, we were talking about Fiona. Okay. Oh, so I know they, I know they just showed the finale of your show, Ashoka. So how did that go? That one went pretty much as I expected. Uh, like I said, the high point was, I think it's episode six for that series. There was no way they were topping that. But at the same time, as somebody that... I, I gotta know, anybody that has seen Ahsoka that didn't watch Clone Wars or Star Wars Rebels... Uh, what did you think of the finale? Because that was literally just going, hey, Easter egg, Easter egg, Easter egg, Easter egg. That anybody else that has seen those shows would probably be like, well, that was boring. None of that made sense. Meanwhile, to everybody that's seen Clone Wars and Rebels, we're like, oh, my God. Oh, they're doing the thing. They're doing more of the thing. Oh, my God. They put that in there. <laughs> so it's basically a giant setup for... An assumed season two that hasn't been announced yet, but we can assume there's going to be a season two. <laughs> okay, okay, gotcha, gotcha. I, I can say I enjoyed it. I can see when people are like, eh, I, I was expecting more. It's like, yeah, but it's it's the season finale leading into another season. It's That wasn't supposed to be the series finale by any means. Mm -hmm. All right, I gotcha, gotcha. All right, so listen, I um, I'm, I'm glad that that it, it sounds like it like it went like perfectly fine. Mm -hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, so um, I'm I'm excited to watch some things. I know um, a few things we got coming up. Uh, I know the the Scorsese movie is coming out this month, so that should be good with uh, you know, Leo and uh Robert De Niro in the same movie. They have I don't think they've been in the same movie since uh, uh, what's the film called This Boy's Life? Um, you know, back when Leonardo was like a teenager. Yeah. Uh, back in like the like early 90s you're talking about. Yeah. Has it really been That's that awesome. long? I don't I don't I think so. Like what's the last movie Leonardo and Robert and Robert De Niro been in together? Cuz I don't I think it's been that long. Yeah, I'm trying to think and it's You would think there would be more, yeah. but I I don't think so. Because I know they did a commercial together that that Scorsese directed, where they were both they were both going for a role in Scorsese's film. I thought that commercial was pretty funny, but that wasn't like a you know that wasn't a movie. Yeah, I uh, I think so. Yeah, yeah, I can't think of any off the top of my head, and it seems like one of those duos that would work to well together too. Okay, hold on, hold on. Okay, so they say it's the it's the six the six feature film where they work together, but my thing is, uh, 
So that doesn't make sense. Oh no, no, no. They're, they're talking about between him and him and us. Okay, never mind. That's between him and Scorsese. Sorry, but uh, yeah, man. Uh, I think this is like the first film they've doing they've done since back in the nineties. Okay. Yeah, I'm excited for this film, dude. They uh, this is a straight up a wow three hours and twenty six minute movie. They not playing around. Is that coming to theaters or? It is. So it's coming to theaters um, October 20th, and then it's going to come to Apple TV later. Oh, okay. That that seems like it's made for streaming, because a three-hour movie, I don't think many theaters like uh, doing movies that fall beyond two and a half hours, because it means it's less showings they can put in a day for that movie. I'm sorry, sir. Have you Have you never saw a Marvel film? Oh, outside of Marvel films, I mean, of course. Marvel's always going to, well, Marvel used to always guarantee money. <laughs> awesome, awesome. Yeah, I hear what you're saying. Yeah. I hear what you're saying. Speaking of movies that are guaranteed money, have you looked up showtimes for the Twi- Taylor Swift movie? Oh, I've been hearing all about this. No, I haven't. <laughs> no, I haven't. The so one of the theaters out here that has 14 screens in the entire theater, uh, eight of them are dedicated to the Taylor Swift movie. <laughs> dude, they are riding that wave. I'm telling you, they know the Swifties are going to come out. Well, no, no, no. The best part is if you look at the listings underneath every single showing from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. on the Friday that it comes out. It says almost full. <laughs> there is a showing almost every 15 minutes. All of them are almost full. And when you click on it to go, well, what is almost full? It's basically the handicap seats and the very front row. <laughs> wow. Wow. All that for the Taylor Swift movie. That's crazy. Yeah, it's That's crazy. Absolutely insane. When people say, because, you know, I expect Taylor Swift fans are a huge number. So this movie was going to do great. I didn't expect my local theater to be one of the places that would hit so hard with that. Because Mm. my local theater is Is one of the smaller AMCs. Okay, which ones? Uh, The one over in Madison Heights. John R.? Yeah. Okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so it's a smaller theater. They don't have too many screens, so the fact that they're dedicating, like, half of them to this movie is already... But the fact that they're, like, all sold out, nearly, is another thing on top of that. (laughs) That makes me wonder, how much is the Beyoncé concert film going to sell out? Because you know she's coming out with hers, too, right? Yeah, AMC... Or was it AMC that got the deal for that one? I don't know, but I know the Taylor Swift ones are paying at AMC, but I don't know if they're doing a Beyonce one. Yeah, because it was between Cinemark and AMC. They were fighting for the Beyonce one after the numbers for the Taylor Swift started coming out. I'm going I'm to tell you a story, man. You know who Halsey is? Halsey. Um, the, the, the artist, Halsey, H-A-L-S-E-Y. By name, it's not ringing a bell right now, but I probably know their work. Okay, she's kind of like an alternative pop artist. Is kind of how I would call her. Okay, uh, she had a she had a film come out at IMAX. Uh, it was kind of like a short film based on her new her newest album. The newest album was produced by Nine Inch Nails. So I was like, 
I like her. I like Nine Inch Nails. Let me go check out this movie. Uh, the, the movie was fine. Um, I went. It was a one night only type of thing. I used a list back when I had it back then. Mm-hmm. But dude, it's like when I went to see that, it's like like mostly all the theater was filled with housey fans. I was like, maybe I'm a bit underdressed here because everybody had a housey <laughs> shirt on, you know, a signed autograph housey shirt on. Like, I mean, I was surrounded by housey fans. Not, mm-hmm. I don't even think I think I don't even think there was one Nine Inch Nails guy in in the room. <laughs> And um, yeah, but yeah, I could imagine that being like every Taylor Swift showing. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I I always love kind of like walking into a fandom movie showing where you're Mm -hmm. not a part of that fandom and just going, I am severely underprepared for whatever is about to happen here. (laughs) Right. Absolutely. That's exactly how I felt. But um, hey, we'll see how this goes, man. I heard like this is a very like like uh people are waiting for this. They're waiting for this concert film. So we'll we'll see how it goes. Yeah. But uh, I mean, yeah. All right. It's a movie that has literally spiked AMC's stock. I don't think any movie has mm. ever actually it tailored to, you know, <laughs> pun intended. Yeah, pun intended. Uh, AMC's stock directly. Like even like Endgame when that came out and everything like that, that didn't in- modify AMC's stock at all. This movie is actually rising their stock. Wow, that's crazy. That's crazy. All right, um, all right, folks, we're gonna get out of here. You know, remember to watch films. Uh, catch us on the next one, and uh, uh, take care. <laughs>